as we prepare to go up to the altar, up to the table our Lord sets for us, up to meet with him as he comes down to meet with us in his body and his blood together with the bread and wine for the forgiveness of sins. I, I want to lead you in a meditation on Psalm 123. It's a psalm of ascent. We've been looking at those in the middle of Advent. It's, it's the way up to our Lord. And, but before I read it to you, there's actually a reason I didn't put it in your service folder. I want to offer up a trigger warning. If you're not familiar with what that means, it means there's going to be something perhaps abrasive, uh, something perhaps shocking, uh, perhaps something that will make you a little bit uncomfortable. There, there's a metaphor that Psalm 123 offers up for us that, that maybe many would say is not quite politically correct. It calls God a master and us a slave. And it says that we should be like, like a, a slave looking up to the hand of his master, a maidservant looking up to the hand of her mistress till he shows us mercy. I'm saying that ahead of time. In fact, I didn't print it in the service folder for that reason because I want to kind of throw out the airbag and say, just be ready. It might make you uncomfortable. I, I shared the metaphor with our eighth graders in catechism class. And they looked at me like, whoa, 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 I'm no slave. And I get it. But I, I beg you to stay with me for just a moment and let's unpack the metaphor and what does God mean by it. Listen to Psalm 123. You, you can follow along on the screen. This is, this is the perspective of God's people as they look up to God. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy on us. For we have endured no end of contempt, we have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. This is the word of our God. Would you pray with me? Lord God, open my mouth to explain this psalm in a way that makes sense to your people to lead them in a meditation on your word. Open up their ears to receive of this picture of our relationship with you. So Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, God. You alone are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, I get it. I do get why that's kind of an abrasive picture, an abrasive metaphor that maybe sets us on edge just a little bit. I, I don't want to be anybody's slave. Because even when you look at scriptures and even when you look at the example, what you see of slavery in the scriptures, even when God's people are the slave owners, it's not a pretty picture. Just ask Hagar about her relationship to Sarai when she had a child, Ishmael, and, and, and consider what Sarai did to Haggai or Hagar as she sent her out into the wilderness. Ask her what it was like to be a maidservant to the house of her mistress. And she would probably tell you it was no walk in the park. It was not a pleasant, happy relationship. Ask the people of Israel what it was like to be, to be in Egypt with Pharaoh's never-ending straw-gathering, brick-making quota. 
Ask them what it was like when the master Pharaoh told them to throw their babies in the Nile. Ask them what it was like to have a whip at their backs. Ask them, if you will, what it was like to be a slave to a master. Ask the Israelites in in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to look at this in the new year, but in in the book of Nehemiah, Israelites were enslaving Israelites. The one group of Israelites were broke and they had nowhere else to turn, so they sold themselves into the hand of their, other, of their fellow Israelites, into the hands of their family members, and their family members took advantage of them, asked them about slavery. Or ask Anesimus what it was like to be a slave for Philemon, his Christian master. Ask him. We're not sure of all the details. Read through the short little book of Philemon once and you'll see there was something that happened there. But this much we know, Philemon was the Christian master and Onesimus ran away. I can't imagine running away from a good situation. Add to that the history of the world and how it's treated people when slavery is a system. (laughs) Or ask the world how it treats people even when there is no slavery in place. And so I get it. I understand why we balk at this picture of slavery because it carries such, such negative and wicked and evil connotations to it. But then I thought again and I said, well, just because there are abusive fathers doesn't mean that we don't talk about God as our father, a father of the best kind. And just because there are wicked kings doesn't mean that we hesitate to call Jesus King of kings and Lord of lords. And just because there are bad husbands doesn't mean that we shy away from talking about Jesus as the groom of of the church, his bride. Just because the master is bad doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about God as master. Because what if the master is good? And in God's case, we can most certainly say that the master is good beyond all knowing, beyond all imagination, beyond all description. Consider he provides. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the hand of our master, from the hand of our God who does not change like shifting shadows. He puts a hedge around us, guiding and guarding and sending angels to guard us in all our ways so that we will not stub our foot against the stone. And when we do stub our foot, when we do stub our toe, he turns and bends the pain for our eternal good. (coughs) Consider that our master has no evil intent in him. Everything in the scriptures, everything in God's working in our life does not design to destroy us, but rather to save us to deliver us. God works in our lives as our master to get us to the final wedding banquet when, he will, when we will sit at the table and he will serve us, the master becoming the servant to wait on us and to serve us at the heavenly banquet. Our master's only design is to save us. And even when we sin against him, You know, if you think about the master-slave relationship and the worst kind of relationship that there could be, or even the best kind, if if you can imagine that, in a master-slave relationship, you would expect that that even when the master is good, when the slave does wrong, there's going to be some sort of 
punishment. Because you did something, I'm going to punish you for it. But not in this one. If we can go above and beyond our earthly imagination when it comes to the master-servant-slave relationship, can we see that God does not treat us as our sins deserve? That He does not pay us back according to our iniquities. Can you see that, that God, even when we are faithless, God is faithful? He does not treat us like we deserve. He is good and forgiving and gracious and merciful even when we are not. And so can you can begin to see yourself in a master in a slave master relationship with your God? Can you see how it's good to be a slave to the Lord who says don't be afraid? I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You belong to me. You are mine. A slave is really in a helpless situation when you start to think about it. A slave, and, and, and try to imagine this, a slave has no property. They, they own nothing. They have no power. They have no rights. They have no authority. They are absolutely dependent on their master for everything. We are absolutely dependent on our God for everything. If God does not show us mercy, there will be none. If God does not forgive us, there will be none. If God does not provide for us, there will be no bread. If God does not protect us, there will only be harm and danger. If God does not rule over our lives and protect us by his angels or even with his, and even with his mighty power, we will only be destroyed. But God is our Father in heaven. God is our master who protects and provides and gives bread and food and drink. A slave is in the position to look up with expectation and longing to their good master, waiting for only good, because God, that's all God gives. Waiting for only mercy, because that's all God gives. Waiting for only grace, which God always gives. So as you come up today to the table of the Lord, I want you to imagine and think and do a couple of things. First, I w want you to take some time right now as we do this together and as we confess our sins in just a moment to come clean, to, to confess your sins before the Lord. The sins that you know and the sins that you don't know, if you aren't sure what those are, well, then let's remember the Ten Commandments. That's what Luther would have us do. If you're not sure how you've sinned, well, then think about the Ten Commandments and ask yourself, well, in what, what other things have I put in the place of God? What have I trusted in place of Him? What have I loved in place of Him? What have I wanted in place of God? How have I used God's name in a careless, meaningless, vain way? How have I dishonored his day and his word? What about those people that God has put over me, the authorities, father and mother, government, church? How have I dishonored them? And what about human life? How have I cared for my life? How have I cared for the lives of others, the, the born and the unborn, the young and the old? 
What about marriage and sex? Has my mind gone places? My eyes gone places they should not have gone? Have I thought things I shouldn't have thought? Am I content with what I have? Or have I coveted and wanted after, lusted after other things that God says I shouldn't or cannot have? And what about reputation in other people's names? Have I talked about them? Gossiped about them? Told stories about them? Maybe they were even true, but have I told them nonetheless? Take just a moment and recall in your own hearts and minds the Ten Commandments and ask yourself, how have I sinned against God? You have and you know better than I, ha- that I do how. So as you come up to the table of the Lord, come, coming clean before the Lord, confessing them to him, and come knowing what he will do. See, when we confess our sins before the Lord, you already know what he's going to do. It boggles my mind when I think about this for myself. Why am I afraid to confess my sins when I know what God will do with it? We have a merciful God who delights, who delights to show mercy. So as you come, lift up your eyes to him whose throne is on heaven because he delights, he delights to show mercy. You can come clean, confess your sins before him and know that he will forgive your sins. And the third thing I would have you think about is as you unpack this master-servant metaphor, is at the table, Jesus becomes the servant. At the table, Jesus comes to wait on you, to give himself to you, his body and his blood, to, give your, to forgive your sins. At the table, God gives mercy. This is not just a memory meal, a remembrance meal. It's certainly that, but it's so much more. When you eat and when you drink, Jesus is giving mercy. He's delighting to give you mercy and to deliver you from death. So as you come up, come before the Lord with with humble and broken hearts, but also expectant hearts, because you can surely expect that the Lord will show you mercy. He is good. Amen? Amen.